the uh, title of this morning's message is, once again, Building an Eternal Legacy. And this is the fourth message that I will be ministering on that particular theme. Uh, God's given me a prophetic emphasis for this year, and it is this, that we are to build an eternal legacy. And I believe that God is reminding us, and uh, is it we are freshly stirring our hearts to make sure that we are building an eternal legacy rather than just focusing on temporary goals. And temporary goals we must have. It's good to have a goal to do an education, finish an education, you know, to get into a career and to get a job and to get a promotion and to buy a house and to get married and to have a family and all of these wonderful things. It's absolutely necessary. But in the middle of it all, it's important that we don't just get caught up with things that are for here and now, that we are definitely preparing a legacy for eternity. A legacy is something that we are known for. Uh, when we leave this earth, people talk about the legacy of some of the famous people. And But the good thing is for you and I as Christians, as believers, we take our legacy with us. Um, and uh, and uh, let me just read the passage of Scripture that became, if you like, the, the theme Scripture for this particular uh, message at the moment. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, it says, For we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And for us as Christians, we are dealing with unseen things. Uh, God is unseen. He's not seen with the physical eye. Heaven is not seen, but we know it's there because the Word of God tells us it's there. So we're dealing with unseen things, and we've said that seen things, uh, things that we can see and feel and touch, um, such as material possessions, the delights and the comforts of, these, of this life, are all temporary and can be enjoyed only in this life. And so um, we might you know, buy a house and refurbish or repaint it or build a house, do whatever we like, and uh, it's good to do that, but we can't take it with us. You know, Our good friend Don McDonnell says that the hearse doesn't have a roof rack and it, and it pulls no trailer. We can take nothing with us in terms of earthly possessions, though earthly possessions are necessary. All right, so we're talking about a balance. And we say that unseen things, such as heaven and all of its rewards, are eternal and can be enjoyed throughout eternity. And we pointed out that this life compared to eternity is but a puff. It's puff, but a vapor of smoke that's here and gone the next. If we compare the 70, 80, 100, 120 years that we live on this earth against eternity that goes on forever, it's just no comparison between the two. And so we need to get the focus right. And so we've said that, and I'm just still recapping, we've said that access to heaven is a free gift received by faith in Jesus Christ and in his work on the cross. But rewards in heaven are earned through our faithful service in God's kingdom while on earth. And I don't know about you, but you know, there is sometimes a, quite a, a hunk of the church world running around. They're wanting a touch from God and they're wanting to just, you know, you know, like play in kindergarten and just fall down and roll around and, and all of this other stuff that goes on. I want to grow in the knowledge of God. I want to know how to prepare for the future. Somebody tell me the truth. 
because eternity is an awfully long time. Tell me how I can prepare for the future. That's what I want to know. I don't want to play games in the kingdom of God. I don't want to stay in kindergarten. You know, we start out in kindergarten because everybody that's born again, the Bible says he's a babe in Christ. But then I want to grow. And that's one of the reasons why we are a teaching church. Because the knowledge of God and of God's word causes people to grow so they can order their lives to prepare for the future. And uh, so we said that too many people are focusing too much of their available time, attention and energy on purely temporary matters while at the same time neglecting eternal matters. And so I guess that was a sense... Uh, that God is just stirring our hearts afresh and say, you know, build your house, buy your house, get married, have kids and all of these wonderful things and praise God. You know, God's always absolutely, uh, you know, God's a, God's a family man. How many you know that God's into families? And all of these things are absolutely uh, important. But be sure that in the middle of all this activity, be sure that in the middle of all of that, you're actually able to develop an eternal legacy. Let's just pray right now. And uh, praise God. That's much better. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. Heavenly Father, we just commit this time to you. And Lord, as we approach the, uh, approach the preaching of the word, the proclamation of the scriptures, we thank you, Lord God, that faith comes. You said that faith comes by hearing the word. And I thank you, Lord God, that understanding comes, that revelation knowledge is uh, revealed to us. Lord, at this particular time, and Lord, we want answers uh, to questions. We want solutions to challenges that we are facing. And most of all, Lord, we want to know and understand your plan for our lives, and we want to be able to prepare for the future. So we thank you for speaking to us this morning. We choose to be attentive to your word. We choose to not get distracted. Uh, Lord, we are hungry for truth, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Scripture I want to bring up again. We've already been there. I want to bring it up again because it is to some extent key to what we're discussing and what we're talking about. It says, Therefore, my dear brothers, be steadfast, unmovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord because you know that your work isn't wasted in the Lord. Now, different translations use different words to convey the same truth. Uh, this one here is the ISV, the International Standard Version. Uh, one translation says that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Another one says that it isn't for nothing. Uh, so what that's telling us is that uh, as we are serving God and as we are involved in the kingdom of God, that, that these things are not just uh, wasted, uh, that there is actually something that's going to be done in return. Now, the scriptures tells us to be steadfast and immovable in our faith. Spiritual growth and spiritual maturity brings us to a place where we're not uh, blown about by every wind of doctrine. And there's plenty of winds of doctrine that change every six to eight months, every year, every 18 months. There's a different draft and a different thing. And sometimes people are swayed by this and they're off to that. Now, this is the most exciting thing. And, and that's the latest thing over there. Somebody said to us a couple of years ago, aren't you guys into that thing that's going on right now? And, you know, in America, there's, you know, this guy and he's preaching this and preaching that. And, and we said, well, you know, <laughs> we're, just, we're just quite busy with the word and quite busy with what God's speaking to us about. We can't jump on every bandwagon. And, oh, you know, it's really happening and it's really happening. We said, well, praise God for that. We absolutely trust in God for things to be happening. And, 
And not four months later, the whole thing derailed and it was turned out that part of it was a fraud and that the preacher was making stuff up and everything. But it sounded really exciting. You know, winds of doctrine. Winds of doctrine. That's why we're people of the Word. And that's why we're people of the Spirit. We, we might not always run with the flashiest thing, with the most exciting thing and with the latest thing as it were, but just, you know, stable and stabilized and we're not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. So the Bible tells us to be immovable, to be steadfast in our faith. And uh, however, the scripture here, the subject of 1 Corinthians 15, where we've just read, the subject there is not in our faith so much as it is in the work of the Lord. Everybody say the work of the Lord. All right. And so here God tells us to be steadfast and immovable, not just in our faith, but in the work of the Lord. And not only to be steadfast and to be immovable, but to excel in it. Um, now, the word excel, uh, and, and uh, you know, we study the scripture, we look at different translations, we get into the original text, um, find out what the Greek is actually, you know, what word they've used, uh, you know, there in the original text and, and what all of that means. And the word excel means to abound. It means to go beyond beyond the current level. Um, it means to accelerate. Um, and, uh, you know, for those of you that are driving a vehicle, there's just a real thrill about accelerating. I don't know about you, but I, I'm thrilled each time I'm able to put my foot down. There's just something about speed and something about going faster than what we've done up to that point. And, of course, there's limits to what you can do. And uh, I have to confess that, you know, Pastor Andre and I, we tried really hard to stick to the rules and obey the law of the land, but I'm concerned we haven't always 100% succeeded. And uh, But anyway, we've done well. I know we've done well. And in the parts where we've broken the law, we've repented afterwards. <laughs> but we're talking about accelerating, going a little bit faster. And, uh, and so what that means is that God wants us to just go beyond in the work of the Lord. He wants us to be steadfast, immovable, and to go beyond where we are right now. Um, and so, you know, I know that sometimes people are maxed out and it's absolutely understandable uh, that, you know, people are maxed out. So the idea is not always to work harder, but to, to trust God for a greater anointing so we are able to have a greater efficiency in serving God and in the work of the Lord. Um, so as believers, we are called to apply ourselves and do the best that we can in all areas of our lives. Um, and so that means that, uh, in fact, let me just read the passage of Scripture here in Colossians chapter 3, and we're really just still building a case. It says in verse 23, it says, Whatever you do, everybody say, whatever you do. It says, Do you work heartily as for the Lord rather than for man, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance? It is the Lord Jesus whom you serve. So the Bible was speaking there to husbands to love their wives. It's speaking about wives to, you know, to submit to their husbands. And it's speaking to, speaking to slaves to obey their masters and to do their work and everything. And not just to do their work as it were to please man at just the bare minimum. But he says, whatever you do, he says, do it as unto the Lord. So that we're not man pleasers and get away with the bare minimum, but we're doing the maximum. We're pleasing the Lord. Whether somebody's watching or not watching, we're doing the best that we can. And when it means whatever you do, it means in our job, it means in our business, it means in our career, 
It means in our study. It means in our raising of children. It means whatever we do, that we do it heartily and, and get stuck in and do the best that we can. Uh, I firmly believe that Christians ought to be the best employees in the whole wide world. And uh, sad to say, that's not always, that's not always the case. Uh, uh, years ago, when I was still involved in secular employment and everything, I employed this man and it turned out that he was a Christian. And he was one of those guys that was leaning more on his broom than actually using it to clean and to do the job that he was supposed to be doing. It was like really noticeable. He's always chatting and always chatting. And when I walk past, he suddenly gets very busy. And, you know, he was a man pleaser. Um, rather than a God-pleaser. And for us as Christians, that's not good enough. We need to raise our game. That, that we become the preferred employee in terms of when a boss employs us, he's saying, these guys will give you a good day's work. These guys are honest. They're not going to rip you off. They're not going to you know, turn up late and leave early and still clock in for whole day's work. How many of you know what I'm talking about? So that we do things heartily to the best of our ability, whatever you do. But again... 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, isn't speaking about our job. It isn't speaking about our studies. And it's not talking about all of these things. It is specifically speaking about our involvement in advancing God's kingdom in the earth. It calls it the work of the Lord. All right? Uh, and I want to talk to you about the work of the Lord just a little bit. Uh, because, you see, every born-again believer is enlisted in God's army of laborers to serve in his kingdom, and to advance the cause of Christ in the earth. Now here in 1 Peter chapter 4, and in verse 10, um, it says, Each one, as a good manager of God's different gifts, must use for the good of others the special gift he has received from God. So what's that telling us is that, friend, if you're born again, if we are born again, we've all been given a special gift. Each one of us has an ability, has a talent, a particular thing that, uh, that we can do better than most other people. Um, and, and, and so he says that, he says, each one is good managers of God's different gifts. You see, you and I, we're not the owners of that gift, of that ability. We're only the managers of it or as a... Uh, uh, all, you know, all the Bible translations, it calls it, we are the stewards of it. We don't hardly use the term steward this day. Uh, in this day and age, we use the term manager more than that. So you and I, we are managing that gift. Um, and we are called upon by God to find out what the gift is. We are called upon to develop that gift. And we are called upon to use that gift um, to advance the kingdom of God in the earth. Every born-again believer is a part of the workforce. Uh, what sometimes people don't realize is that, uh, you know, in Jewish culture, um, in Jewish um, family environment, that um, the children, the sons, would always serve their father. Always. Uh, and when the father would retire then the older son will get a double portion of the inheritance and the younger boys get their stuff as well, but they would end up serving their older brother. How do you know that Jesus Christ is our older brother? He's the firstborn among many brethren, the Bible tells us. And our Heavenly Father is not only our Heavenly Father, but He's the one whom we serve. We're advancing His purposes in the earth. 
uh, that's what all of that means. So it says that we are good managers of God's different gifts, and we must use it for the good of others, the special gift that we've received from God. Uh, whoever preaches must preach God's messages. Whoever serves must serve with the strength that God gives, so that in all things praise may be given to God through Jesus Christ, to whom belong glory and power forever and ever. Amen. One translation calls it the manifold grace of God. Now, the grace of God is not just God's unmerited favor. It is much, much more than that. Uh, the Bible actually speaks about different graces, plural. Uh, so, for example, there is a saving grace. There's grace for us to be saved. Then there is a grace to serve in a particular area. When somebody does something well, uh, they can't really take credit for just uh, you know being all clever and all smart. That is the grace of God uh, for that person on their lives. And you know, God has a purpose in the earth. God has a vision to reach lost people, to build the church, uh, and I mean the church universal uh, on the earth, and to advance the purposes of God. And there's different tasks, different roles that are to be fulfilled. And God in His wisdom has, has, has divvied up all of these abilities that are required to get the job done. He's divvied all of that up into small little bits, and He's given every believer a portion of that grace. That's why the Bible calls it the manifold grace of God. And so the reality is that all of us are good at something. Particularly good, we're able to do things very well. Uh, some of these abilities come quite natural. They quite, be quite flow. And in fact, we are so unaware of them because we are so used to them, we don't know that we're actually good in this area. Sometimes it takes other people to point out what we're good at because we get so used to it. Other abilities come to us in seed form uh, and we need to discover what they are and begin to develop them and, and, and begin to hone that gift and, and that ability and then to function uh, in that particular gift. You know, sadly, certain things are not done very well in the body of Christ. And for example, I use myself as an example. I'm doing certain things, not because I'm good at it, but because it needs to be done. But I'm not doing them very well because they're not really part of my gift mix. But I do them because they need to be done. You might say, well, why are you doing it? Well, because the person that's supposed to be doing it does not realize that deal that we're talking about right now. That God has gifted everybody to do something. Um, and so that means that most of us, are involved somewhere doing something, not because it is part of our primary gift mix or because we've got a particular passion for it, but uh, we're doing it because the somebody else that's supposed to be doing it hasn't quite risen up yet. Just poke the person next to you on the side and say, it might be you. Just poke him right now and say, it might be you. <laughs> Let me talk to you about three areas or three specific areas uh, of advancing God's kingdom. Now, this is by no means an exhaustive list. There's so much to be done, but we can categorize certain things uh, and trim them down. And I've got a list of what I might call the three M's. As I say, there's more than that, but I think this is some of the headlines of uh, a good starting point in regards to what God wants us to do 
and how God requires us. And we're still talking about preparing for the future. It's getting the job done here in the earth. And when we get to heaven, there will be rewards dished out according to how we have got involved in the work of the Lord in this life on this earth. How many of you are with me? All right, so there's the three M's. There's the message, the ministry, and the money. I want to talk to you for the remaining time about these three areas. The message, the ministry, and the money. Now, the message in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, it says, In all of this is the gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to himself. Everybody say task. All right, God has given us this task. Uh, one translation would say that God has charged us with the task. Um, we are given the job. Some of you arrive at work in the morning and the supervisor, the manager would say, okay guys, today I want us to take care of this. I want us to focus on that. We're given task. And then throughout the day, we work, and then hopefully we get the job done. Uh, and sometimes projects take an hour, sometimes they take a month, sometimes they take a whole year, but we are given a task. Now, God's given us a task that will take us to the end of our days on the earth. And by the way, the previous generation of Christians uh, that came before us, that have already died and gone to heaven, they had the same task. You know, the task doesn't change until Jesus returns. So God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. Verse 19 says, For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Everybody say message of reconciliation. So we've been given the task of reconciling people to God, and we have been given the message of reconciliation. Um, and so, in other words, God has given us the tools uh, so we can get the job done. And uh, so we are in, let me start again, verse 20. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we bleed and we say, come back to God. Now, the Bible tells us here, that every believer, this is every believer, it's not just some and not others. You know, tragically, many churches have got a ratio, uh, not uncommon for large churches to have a 20-80% ratio. And it is known by church growth experts that only 20% 20, 20 of the people are serving, the rest of the 80% only coming along here and go home again and actually don't get involved. Um, and it is because of that that people either don't understand or are unwilling to put their hands to the plow. It is because of that that we're not further in advancing the kingdom of God. That somehow we haven't picked up the charge that God has given us in regards to the message, the ministry, and also the money. And we'll see how far we get today. All right, so every believer has been given the, mess, the ministry of reconciliation. And that ministry is discharged or fulfilled by sharing the message of rock reconciliation with lost people. Some believers are more effective in soul winning, but all believers need to be involved in reaching people for Christ. Um, and so what that means is that each time um, I talk to somebody uh, and share the message of Christ with them, and even if it's just portions of it, Sometimes we've got an opportunity to 
give him the whole thing from wall to go. Um, you know, that we are sinful beings, that we need a Savior, that Jesus died on the cross. He, 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 he was buried. He rose again on the third day and he ascended uh, to heaven and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. And if we believe in our heart that God raised him from the, from the dead and confess him with our mouth as Lord, we shall be saved. Like give him the whole thing from beginning to end in a short, concise uh, version. That's fantastic. But sometimes we only got time to give portions uh, of it and particularly with people that we meet with again and again, that could be family, could be friends, could be people we work with. We're only able to get aspects of it out. But each time I only give an aspect of, of the message of reconciliation out, it means that I'm discharging that ministry of reconciliation that God has given me. If I go along and I invite somebody, uh, you know there's more than one. <laughs> Right to skin a cat, as they say. You know, sometimes people say, look, uh, somehow people need to hear the message. It says, how shall they call upon the name of the Lord unless they hear, unless they hear the message? But if we know that the message is going to be proclaimed in the church that we are a part of, is there, if there's a special event that's on, if I invite somebody along so that they can come into this place to hear the message preached, then I'm part of that, that uh, whole chain. I'm a link in the chain of bringing this person from where they were to a point of salvation. And God will reward me for that. Um, that's why the Bible tells us that the work of the Lord is not in vain, is not for nothing. God records everything. He keeps track of everything. And particularly those people that have gone the extra mile and gone all out in serving God in this earth, there will be rewards in heaven for them to enjoy that others won't get because Somehow God is a very fair and a very just God. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Salvation and access to heaven is a free gift. You can't earn it. You can't, you can't serve God enough. You can't do enough to, to get that. That is purely received by faith. But then when we put our hands to the plow, when we then get involved to serve and, and do stuff and to help to advance the kingdom of God in the earth, God records everything Nothing is lost. You see, each time when a spiritually lost person accepts the message of the gospel and receives Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, the kingdom of God is advanced. How is it advanced? A soul at a time. Each time when another person comes under the government of Jesus Christ, when that person is translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear Son, the kingdom of God is advanced. You see, every effort in winning souls will be rewarded in heaven. And sometimes, you know, winning souls is frontline ministry. <laughs> it's like, you know, there's there's different types of approaches to this thing. There's friendship evangelism, there's power evangelism, then there is, you know, just just different ways of reaching people. But one way or the other, each time when we reach out to some but to a lost person, we're in a sense sticking out our neck because we don't know what response we're going to get. And Jesus knew that. So he talked to us about it. And he said here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 11, he says, How blessed are you when people insult you. Have you ever been insulted when you tried to share Christ with somebody? Is that all? I don't know. I hate that quite a bit. A number of years ago, I was at a hairdresser. And I thought, oh, gee, i got 10 minutes here and I'm not getting all the shampoo and all the blow drying and everything. I'm just getting a cut and I'm in and out. But I got a very short period of time, and so I was very quick and, and very quickly shared the gospel. Well, that woman nearly 
bit off my head. Like, uh, I don't want to talk about that. I'm absolutely not, not interested. And, and absolutely shut me down <laughs> at a moment's notice. And it sort of took me back a little bit. Uh, another time I was uh, uh, quite involved in doing street work in, in Wellington years ago. Uh, as some of you guys are doing right now. And uh, I was at the railway station, and we had been out two by two out in the mall, Manus Mall, just hooning around on Friday night and, you know, waiting until the movies shut down. And we knew exactly the times when there was going to be crowds of people. And, and I was so stirred up and come 11 o'clock, and I thought, well, I don't want to go home just yet. So I went down to the railway station, and I got talking to a man down there that it seems might have been a, a homeless man just, you know, running around still and everything. And so as I began to reach out to him and talk to him about it, I just wanted to talk to him about Jesus and everything. And he turned around and he sort of just nearly bit my head off. He says, uh, oh, he says, you guys killed my brother. And, uh, and I thought, oh, sorry, sorry, uh, your brother got killed? He said, yes, you guys killed him. I says, oh, I'm very sorry that your brother got killed. Who killed him? Oh, you fellas. And uh, now... <laughs> Back then, my accent was a bit stronger than what it is today, and he obviously heard that German accent, and the guy was still fighting the war. I mean, the war finished in 1945, but he's still fighting the war. He hadn't got over it. You know, it's very sad for people that have lost, lost people in, in the war, but he's still fighting the war. So that took me back a little bit. But Jesus says, how blessed are you, he says, when people insult you, persecute you, and say all sorts of evil things against you falsely. Now, if you've got a pen in your hand, circle that word falsely. That hopefully accusations are leveled against us falsely, rather than people having some serious uh, issues with, you know, with stuff that we're doing wrong, where we're lying and cheating and, and doing all of this other stuff, and say, oh, you, you're trying to tell us about Jesus, and you're a cheat, and you're a hypocrite, and you're doing all of these things and, and everything. So the accusations need to be falsely. If they are found, well-founded accusations, there will be no blessing for us. But if people say stuff against us falsely, they make up stuff and they malign us and, uh, and so forth. He says in verse uh, 12, he says, Rejoice and be extremely glad because your reward in heaven is great. For that's how they persecuted the prophets who came before you. And so, you know, in frontline ministry, you experience all sorts. You experience doors slammed shut. Uh, one guy I was trying to reach out to, uh, Years ago, he started to take swings at me and everything, and I had to retreat. I don't know how I did that, and today I'm thinking I should have maybe advanced and, uh, and uh, given him uh, uh, the same of his own medicine. But anyway, I, I retreated and everything. Just, just this guy's coming after me, swinging and everything. And, and you know, sometimes people you just don't know how people will respond. And each time when we, when we share the message of Christ in whichever form, and even if it's just an invitation, people know that we're involved in church, we're sticking out our neck. And, uh, you know, it's like, in a sense, our neck's on the line. And Jesus says, if you stick your neck out for me, he says, no matter what response you're going to get, there will be a reward for you in heaven. See, the Bible speaks of a, of a crown. You see, soul winners will get a special crown in heaven. There's various crowns that mean various things, and there's different types of rewards that will be enjoyed throughout eternity. And what I'm talking to you and to me about today is to stir our hearts to build an eternal legacy to not just be thinking about here and about now. So that's kind of a quick uh, summary of the message that God has given to us. I want to talk about the ministry very quickly. See, the mission of winning souls happens outside the church, but most ministry happens in the church. Uh, and that's why... 
we sometimes refer to it as body ministry. That we use our gift, or our gifts, plural, to minister to the body, to minister to other believers. Remember that First Peter told us that we are to use for the good of others the gift that God has given to us. Um, and so every believer has a gift and is anointed to fulfill a function. Ephesians 4, chapter 11, specifically speaks into that. Uh, Jesus, uh, he says here that he gave us apostles, prophets, missionaries, as well as pastors and teachers as gifts to his church. Their purpose is to prepare God's people to serve and to build up the body of Christ. Um, and uh, this is to continue until all of us are united in our faith and in the knowledge about God's Son, until we become mature, until we measure up to Christ, who is the standard. So it's speaking about the standard, the level of maturity that Christ had, who laid down his life. All right, That's what he's talking about. Verse 14, he says, Then you will no longer be little children, tossed uh, and carried about by all kinds of teachings, that change like the wind. We will no longer be influenced by people who use cunning and clever strategies to comp uh, strategies to lead us astray. Instead, verse 15, as we lovingly speak the truth, we will grow up completely in our relationship to Christ, who is the head. He makes the whole body fit together and unites it through the support of every joint. Why don't you circle that word there where it says every joint. Um, as each and every part does its job, he makes the body grow so that it builds up, uh, that it builds itself up in love. So what that means is that in the body of Christ, there is no redundancy. Um, there is no um, spare parts, so to speak, uh, that are sitting on the sideline. There is no bench um, where people are not in the game Everybody's in the game, and this is an eternal game. And actually, it's not just a game. This is the real deal. Uh, this life here is the only shot that we get at this thing. As my wife keeps on saying, she says, I've only got one life to live. And she's absolutely right, because you see, reincarnation is a lie. It's a, it's a, damnable, a damnable lie. And by the way, uh, purgatory is a lie as well. It does not exist. So we've got one life. The Bible says it is appointed unto man to, to die once and then judgment. And so we've got one life to live. We've got, one, we've got one shot at this thing to give our very best for Jesus and then to get to heaven and then it is his business to uh, award to us rewards as he sees fit for the way that we've stuck out our neck, the way that we've made an effort to advance the kingdom of God, to get involved in building the church and to do our share as far as... Uh, uh, the body of Christ is concerned. Sometimes we refer to as the body of Christ as a, an institution, uh, an organization. It is not entirely wrong uh, to refer to the church as an institution as opposed to the state, which is another institution. But really, the Bible uses the term body uh, for us as believers. And it says that Christ is the head. And, uh, you know, it's like uh, all of us got a head. Um, if we haven't got a head, we're not here. All right, anybody with to lose their head, they have to leave this earth. Everybody needs to have a head. Uh, so our body uh, has a head, and then there is arms, legs, there's a trunk, there's organs, there's skin, there's fingers, hands, there's all sorts of parts to the body. That's why the Bible says we have one body but many members. 
All right? There's joints, there's ligaments, and uh, as the language used here in this passage, verse 16, he makes the whole body fit together and unites it through the support of every joint. Um, last year, um, I began to have some issues with, with my knees, um, quite concerning, really. Uh, I was having major, major pain, and uh, in fact, in the end, I asked uh, somebody to pray for me. I said, if this thing keeps up, I need to have knee, knee replacements. I damaged my knees somewhere, and the ligaments somehow must have got uh, rather loose, and so when I was lifting up my, my leg, it was like, uh, like my knees sort of slightly separated. There was a kind of a clonking going on. It was rather alarming. I'm pleased to say that God's completely healed me of that, and my knees are absolutely awesome, working absolutely fine. But it was like a deal. It's like at a certain point, it's like my knees not working properly now, and I would sort of walk, and in the process, the, 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 the leg at the bottom below the knee was kind of twisting sideways, and it wasn't working properly. It started to impede me in what I was doing. I couldn't kneel down properly, um, and I had trouble getting up the stairs, and it's like, uh, it's like what? what's going on here? But, you know, if we take that analysis across into the body of Christ and just say, I'm a knee, uh, and I'm not doing my job, then the whole body of Christ is suffering and held back because of it. So, friend, uh, this deal that we're talking about goes beyond you and me and my preferences and your preferences. We are fit by the Lord Jesus, who is the head in the church. He's the head of the body, and he issues the commands from the brain, from head office, so to speak, and has gifted us uh, to do a certain job and a certain function. And the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers, they are, if you like, the mouth, uh, to the body of Christ. They are the trainers. They are the equippers. They are the ones that teach the body to serve. What does it say here? It says they prepare uh, God's people to serve and to build up the body of Christ. Who builds up the body of Christ? The believers build up the body of Christ. The, the Bible says it makes increase of itself. Uh, and further down, again, in the last line there of this passage of Scripture, it says that as each and every part does its job, he makes the body grow so that it builds up, uh, builds itself up in love. Uh, each and every part does its job, he makes the body grow. How does the body grow? When each and every part does its job. Now, I'm in touch with a fair few ministers around the country um, in my involvement through ICFM and just some friendships that I have with ministers and, and so forth. And I can tell you there are pastors up and down this country that are beating themselves up week after week because their church isn't growing. And they kind of think, oh, it's got to be my fault because after all, I'm the pastor. But, you know, right there, right there, the Bible says that uh, Jesus makes the church grow. Uh, it says, by each and every part does its job. When each person slots into the function that God has given them, the body makes increase of itself. And in the old model of doing church, and you know, you still see it in movies today, and I sometimes refer to that, you know, there is a, a, a building with a steeple on it, so that's the church. They say, well, actually, it's not. It's just the building. We are actually the church. Okay? And then come, uh, you know, you go inside, and the only guy that you find inside is the minister, He's the one that wears the collar back to front. And sometimes, you know, they're filming him as he's out the front. He's sweeping down the stairs at the front of the church. And then on Tuesday, he does visitation. On Wednesday, he paints the, paints the, the, the building next door. On Thursday, he does something else. And on Friday, he's, he's, he, he's 
doing something else and on Sunday he gets up and he doesn't know what to talk about because he was tied up doing everybody else's job except his own, which is prayer and ministry of the word. Somebody really got really upset with me one day and, and got really upset when I said that the minister's job description is, according to the Bible, prayer and the ministry of the word. And they thought it was rather arrogant to be spending your time uh, all week long and just praying and just preparing the word so that, as, as, as it were, to feed the people. But people don't understand. You can certainly tell the difference when a minister has spent time in prayer and getting a message from God and as it were to go up the mountain like Moses did to hear from God, to get it written down and to come and to deliver it to the people. And you can tell when somebody gets up and they haven't done their, their job because they were busy doing everything else. So if each person does their share and does their job and does their part, then we're all slotting into our each individual functions and the body will grow. This thing will be humming. Everything is taken care of. And, uh, you know, some of the people say, why aren't you doing this as a church? Well, why aren't you doing that? There is a deficiency here. And I will always be tempted at that moment to say, oh, you've obviously noticed that something has not happened. Why don't you take care of that? If you have noticed that something is not happening, perhaps God's given you the gift and the passion to do something in this area. Okay. Sadly, there's churches that are woefully um, operating at less than 20% capacity because people don't understand. People haven't been taught. People know nothing about eternity. They don't know anything about uh, what God expects from us. They've not been taught and instructed in the scriptures and everything. And sadly, these people will get to heaven because everybody that's born again will get to heaven. And then they're seeing people with uh, enjoying major rewards. Why, 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 why am I not getting any rewards? Well, because you didn't make your life count as far as an eternal legacy is concerned. But why didn't anybody teach me? And Jesus will say, well, you had the word. You had the Bible. If you if your minister didn't teach you, you had the Bible to be able to read and to find out as to how to best prepare for eternity. Hebrews chapter 6 Verse 10 says that God is not unjust as to forget your work and the love you, have sh love you have shown for him as you have ministered to the saints and continue to minister to them. There's two things in here. As you minister to the saints, let me read it again to get it right. Uh, the love that you have shown for him as you have ministered past tense to the saints and continue to minister to them. Sometimes people have ministered past tense, but they're no longer ministering as in present tense. They, they've stopped ministering to people. They've stopped serving uh, somehow for whatever reason. They've, they've failed to continue that which they, which they started. And folks, uh, just a bit earlier on, it says that the love that you have shown him, meaning God, meaning Christ, in ministering to the saints, each time I'm ministering to somebody, that is my way of showing my love for God. That is my way of showing appreciation uh, to Jesus Christ, uh, that I'm involved in the kingdom of God. And uh, of course the reality is that not everybody is able to separate themselves from secular employment and to pull away and to get involved in 
what we might call church work or missionary work full-time, but the reality is everybody is called to a ministry somehow. We've all got a ministry in the house and we've got a ministry outside the house. Um, and in very simple terms, people say, well, where do I start and where, what do I do? Uh, the, the, the standard answer would always be join a team. Get involved in a team somewhere. Join a team because the job is already predetermined for the team, but getting involved somewhere and you're doing something, it says, as we put our hands to the plow, it says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your heart. Join a team. That is always, in my view, the best way to get involved, to do some form of ministry. Um, so we show our love for God by using our gifts to minister to other believers. Again, God keeps record of our faithful service and will reward us in heaven accordingly. So some of the things that we do are visible. In fact, Paul very extensively spoke about that in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He talks about the different parts in the body of Christ, the prominent parts, the not so prominent parts, you know, the face, the nose, the mouth, and you know, hands, these are prominent parts, but then you've got internal organs that nobody ever sees. Yet, if they don't supply their function, the body doesn't live. Uh, and so it could be that somebody comes down here during the week and uh, just quietly goes about their business cleaning the place and making sure that things are done so that we can function as a local church, come back on Sunday, come back into a place that's cleaned and swept and everything. And nobody sees that person. But, you know, heaven records every part of it. Every, nothing is missed out. Jesus says, even giving a glass of water to drink to somebody, he says, you will by no means lose your reward. Now, our attitude is absolutely important in, making in ensuring that what we've done will actually get a reward. If I do something over here, and then go over here and brag about it, and skate about what I've done, and look what I've done and everything else, I immediately lose my reward. Um, the same in giving. Uh, Jesus says, don't le let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, otherwise there will be no reward. He says, these people that run down the street and they hate the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all of these people that are making a fanfare before they were presenting a big offering somewhere, you know, in the temple and everything, they say, you know, look what, <laughs> look what I got, and they're kind of dancing around and, and, and Jesus says, he says, verily, verily, I say to you, they have their reward. What's the reward? Being noticed. It's the only reward. There is no eternal reward happening. If I do a job over here and really do the best to my ability and then go over here and murmur about it and complain about it because I have to do the job, there is no reward for me because my attitude is all wrong. It's not what we do and how we do it. It's our hard attitude that absolutely accounts for the fact whether there will be a reward or whether there will not be a reward. Friends, let's not murmur. Because, I mean, praise God, you know, sometimes stuff gets done in the church and I'm talking about church life and things are done, a job is done, say, so, wow, that's really cool. Now we were able to enjoy that addition or this or that or the other and we enjoyed it. But the person having done the job gets no reward for it in heaven because they messed up that opportunity with the words of the mouth. I don't know why I have to do that. And where's everybody else? And oh, I'm just mumbling, grumbling. And uh, oh, the pastor's asked me to do this. I don't really want to do it, but I'll only do it because he asked me to do it. And, and you know, it's just bad attitude. 
Are we all right this morning? Am I cutting a bit closer to bone there this morning? <laughs> Praise God. I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you the truth. Very quickly now, and we're going to summarize very quickly now with the money. We've talked about the message, talked about the ministry, and talked about the money. It seems to me that somehow in different places, in different parts, money is either overemphasized or underemphasized, and the balance is not quite right. Now right here, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Um, and I've just run out of time. <laughs> I think we're going to stop here. It's going to take us a little while to cover that part, so it's probably best if we leave off here and, and you got your outline and who knows, we might come back to that point sometime. But folks... The word is, let's build an eternal legacy. Let's not just build for here and now, not just take care of temporary things. Let's make sure that there's whatever we do, that it counts towards eternity. And of course, you know, we can feign it a bit further out. Sometimes, you know, young moms get, uh, get ever so, so uh, sort of somehow distressed over things and, oh, just, oh, I can't do much. I've got my kids. Listen. If you bring up your children well and you give them all the focus and all the time they need in your stage in life, that is absolutely fantastic. And you're raising up godly seed and there will be eternal rewards for that. So to say it doesn't start and finish with the three areas that I've talked about. It's everybody doing eternal things will get a reward for it. And, uh, and in God, nothing is missed out. Let's just bow our heads as we close in a word of prayer. Praise God. Father, this morning we once again, we... Lord, we appreciate you. We appreciate the word. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're teaching us how we can best prepare for the future, not just for a good future in this life, but also for a good future in the life to come. We thank you for your word and all the aspects of it. it teaches us about heaven and what to expect when we, when we get there and also how to get there. And Lord, we're truly grateful that you're informing us and that we're not to be ignorant. And Lord, I just pray right now for every person in this room, every person in this auditorium, for every man, every woman, every child. I pray for every family. And God, I just pronounce a blessing on every family here and every person uh, present here today. We thank you, Father, Lord, for the blessing of God on every man, every husband, every father every man that is charged with leading his family and working and serving to bring home the bacon, as it were. Lord, we, we pray a blessing on every woman in the house. Lord, for everything that you've called her to do. On those to the mothers, we pray a special blessing, Lord, on their motherhood and their ability to train up godly seed and, and children. And we thank you for the children, Lord, who have got their whole life before them. We pray a blessing on all of the children who are at school, that are studying, others in kindergarten and others from birth to, to, to adulthood, we pray a blessing on all of them in Jesus' name. And most of all, Father, we pray for everybody's salvation.